morning's reading is from Exodus, chapter 15, verses 1 to 21. And this can be found on page 72 of the Bibles. The Song of Moses and Miriam. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depth like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue. I will overtake them. I will divide the spoils. I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword, and my hand will destroy them. But you blew your breath, and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretch out your right hand, and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. And the people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone. Until your people pass by, Lord. Until the people you bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. The place, Lord, you made for your dwelling. The sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. The Lord reigns forever and ever. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam, the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women followed her with tambourines and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and rider he has hurled into the sea.
This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sasha. I feel like I just need to sit down after that. It is such a great, great reading, and oh, the song comes through so well. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for the song of praise that's before us. And we pray, Lord, that you put praise in our hearts, uh, praise on our lips, and that you would be our focus today as we spend time in this text. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we've just started a, a new series. We're looking at uh, songs of old as we have a look through the Old Testament. We're going to uh, hit Deborah next, and then after Deborah we're going to have uh, a look at Hannah's song is um, Samuel's about to come into the world, and then later as we get into December, coming towards Christmas, we'll have a little bit with uh, Zachariah's song before John the Baptist arrives on the scene, and then Mary's song grips us uh, just before Christmas, and then finally on Christmas Day, the angel's song as Jesus, the Saviour, is born into the world. So we have got some great songs of old and songs of new to look forward to. Now, you might be sitting here and saying, look, I've had a pretty rough week of it. Uh, Something's happened. You know, my children have ended up in hospital with creep. True story. Wasn't us. Someone else here. Uh, Or an ambulance arrived last night because my son um, crashed into a door. True story. That was us. Um, But there might be things going on in your life which make you think, look, I've had a pretty rough time of it lately. I bet that the Israelites in this passage can match anything uh, you chuck at them in a game of top trumps in a rough time that you've had. You see, what's happened recently, well, in the last 430 years for them, is they've been in slavery in Egypt, coming in just as a family but a nation has been born in captivity. This is a people who have been slaves for 430 years. That's a long time. All they've known is slavery, being downtrodden and worked for everything that they've got. And they're uneducated people uh, when we get to this point. But God hears their cries, and so Moses comes to them to deliver them and to save them uh, using God's power, not his own, but the Lord's power. And he comes to Pharaoh and says to Pharaoh, uh, this is what the Lord says. The God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may worship me. And Pharaoh says, no, no, no. And these plagues get set, sent down on the people of Egypt. The plague of frogs, uh, the Nile turning into blood, flies and hail. And then finally, right at the end, the very last plague is the plague of the firstborn, where the firstborn son uh, is going to die in every house that isn't covered by the blood of a lamb that has been slain and the paint of the blood painted on the door frames of the houses. The people of Israel, in their faith and obedience, slaughter a lamb. And as they're eating it, they're eating with this blood that's painted on their door frames. And the angel of death flies in across Egypt. 
and the firstborn die across Egypt, but are saved in the people of Israel. There are great shouts and cries that go up in every house across the land in Egypt, but not of the people of Israel, not of the Hebrews, because they've been covered by the blood of the Lamb. And so finally, Pharaoh says, I've had enough. There's too much death in this place. The Lord is too mighty. Let this people go. And so off they go, out into the wilderness. And they could have gone north and straight to Canaan, which is the place that is promised to them. But instead, God leads them south into the wilderness, into the desert. And as they're fleeing, suddenly Pharaoh realizes he's lost his workforce. I mean, you'd think that uh, times could be rough in Brexit, but it's a whole lot worse in Egypt. This king of Egypt, this powerful ruler, has lost his workforce. And so he gets his best 600 chariots and all the rest of the chariots. And he comes after Israel to take them back and to, yeah, to pull them back into captivity as his workforce. And it's at this time that Israel in the desert with all their animals and everything else get to the point where the Lord says, turn back. And so they turn back to a point. And, and as the chariots are bearing down on them, they've got the Red Sea on one side and this mighty army of Pharaoh on the other side. And these chariots are the most advanced war weapons of the time. I mean, these, these, are, these are the F-35 fighter jets of our day bearing down on this slave race who are uneducated, but they're a slave race who have got a God who is mighty and powerful and who they trust at this point, even though some of them are saying, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you led us out into the desert? And so God, who has been going in front of them as a a fiery pillar at night and a cloud by day, moves from their front and moves to their rear guard in between them and the Egyptian army and throws the Egyptian army into chaos. And then God says to Moses, take that staff of yours and hold it over the Red Sea. And that's what he does. And the Red Sea parts in front of them. And all the people of Israel go through this Red Sea to their safety and salvation. Then the cloud moves and the army of Egypt is allowed to follow them through the Red Sea. But as they're all inside on that dry ground that the Lord has made, the water splashes back. And you can just imagine those massive like tsunami-type waves crashing in on these horsemen and chariots of Egypt. And maybe they fly to the surface of the water as the waves crash into them. But very soon, with their armor, they sink down to the bottom. The mighty power of Egypt, that oppressive force that has been ruling over them for the last 430 years. Those slave drivers, the best of Egypt, destroyed as the Lord has victory over them. And what results from this is just 
this eruption of praise, first of all, we see. Praise for the past, the past that's just happened in verses 1 to 12. And then we get a, a purpose for the present in verse 13. And then finally, because I couldn't find two other Ps, uh, we get a hope for the future in verses 14 to 19. So we start off with praise for the past. Um, verses, verse 1 uh, starts when Moses says, I will sing to the Lord, for, his, for he is highly exalted, both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. This song starts with a place of of I, and we see in verse 2 as well, there's quite a bit of me and my God. The Lord is my strength, my defense. It starts with a place which is personal, but very soon, do you see after verse 2, those I's and my's disappear, and it just becomes about God and who he is, because the Bible is, is a story of God in history, when God intervene so it's all about God and this worship that spills out is all about him and not about us I was thinking about this passage and I was thinking this is probably the original PTL in WhatsApp I don't know if you have uh, family WhatsApp groups you've got two we've got one for my family one for my wife's family and uh, when something amazing happens maybe you know, there's a couple who have been trying to conceive for the last five years, and finally they've conceived. Uh, and a little message goes out to tell everyone what's happened. The answer from every one of these three little letters, PTL, praise the Lord. And they're so insignificant. And in fact, it's almost embarrassing writing PTL when the Lord, through his strength, has done something so incredible. You know, maybe someone who's been struggling with breast cancer has finally been cleared of the cancer and they've been told uh, it's disappeared from their body completely. Our answer is, is PTL. Praise the Lord. This is, this is a PTL uh, in, in a million colours with all the imagery. Praise the Lord. And uh, did you notice from uh, uh, chapter Worship God and immediately, as they get into the wilderness, as immediately as they they saved through the Red Sea, their response is just just this, this overflow of worship. And it's definitely worship and song, but it's worship and more than song. Their whole lives are dedicated to this God who has saved them. And we find out that the Lord is strong. So, from verse three, we read, "The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is His name." And these chariots of Pharaoh, these F-35 fighter jets of our day, he has crushed. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the sea. They are no match for our God. He is stronger than all of them. Do you notice uh, in verse 6, your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand. Uh, There's a talk of his right hand. The strength of God is his right hand, and it is majestic. And then he has power over more than just Pharaoh and his army and these, uh, these chariots and the best of his men. He has power over the waters, the primordial deep of Genesis 1-2. Remember Genesis 1-2, the, the spirit is hovering over the water. Our God is a God 
He was able to create and has power over creation. And here he has power over creation in the Red Sea, that the Red Sea would stand up for him and congeal until all of God's people are through. And then at the breath of his nostrils, come back again in those massive waves to destroy God's enemy. And the enemy boasts, I'll pursue him, I'll overtake him, but it is God who has the final word. And instead of Egypt's army boasting, we find God's people who are boasting in verse 11. So we find the people of God saying, who among the gods, and that's the gods of of Egypt, who they've been under for this time, their masters have worshipped. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? Brothers and sisters, we have a God who can't be beat. We have a God who can't be beat. We have a God who we're able to boast in because he is mighty. He is the one who is able to stretch out his hand, his hand that is strong. And did you notice in verse 2 as well, they have a God who has become their salvation. And this takes us nicely into the purpose of the present. You might ask, why has God done this? Why has God saved his people? Why has he brought them out of Egypt? Why has he brought them through the Red Sea? Why has he brought them into the desert? Well, here's verse 13 to answer the question, following on from verse 2. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. What is his purpose for this people? Well, it's that they might know their God to be a God who saves, a God who redeems, a God who takes people out of captivity and slavery and sets them free, a God who sets us free from those idols and those gods, those pagan gods in Egypt, and free to worship him as the one true and powerful God. And from that place of knowing our God who saves and redeems, we're able to share that with the rest of the world, because God's people have always been a people who have been created to share God's blessing for all nations. And we'll come back to that just at the end. Did you notice from verse 13 that his love has prevailed? In your unfailing love, you will lead your people. And throughout the next many hundreds of years, as God's people head towards Jesus' first coming and the cross, when they want to understand who God is, they look back to this point. They look back to the Exodus. Forever after this point, they're going to be an Exodus-shaped people who live with a God who saves and redeems, a God who loves them. And from that point of looking back to the Exodus, understanding God and a God who has become their salvation, they're going to look forward to a God who is going to do that on a greater scale and a forever scale in Jesus 
on the cross. And so how we as the church look back to the cross, these people of God used to look back to this point in Exodus. And in fact, we find out that so much of our understanding of salvation, in fact, comes from the Exodus as it's been fulfilled in Jesus on the cross. The people of God at this time were saved through, did you notice, blood and water, the blood of the Lamb, the water of the sea, as we are. And we see that in our new birth that we're told about, that we have to be born anew. And yes, and yes, we are born of blood and water. We see that in baptism as well. This is the people who had to die in the Red Sea in order to be raised again to life at the other side. That's what we see when people are baptized. They put their faith and trust and obedience to the people of God walked through the Red Sea to their salvation. And in baptism, we see exactly the same. We see people dying with Christ, putting their trust in him in obedience and being raised to life. The Exodus is celebrated as Passover, and Jesus was celebrating Passover at the Last Supper. What we celebrate in communion every week is a reenactment of this, if you like, because this pointed towards Jesus' death on the cross, as that Passover meal of the Last Supper did. The Lamb had died, his blood had been shed. And because he has bought us, as we find out in verse 16 later on, we have been set free, redeemed from slavery to sin upon the cross at the cost of the Son of God for us. So we have purpose for the present as well as praise for the past, and therefore we can have hope for the future. And it starts off with hope for the near future. So we find out that as Egypt moves across into the promised land through the desert, that nations around them, the Philistines, the Edomites, the Moabites, the Canaanites, will hear about this mighty God who has gone before them and is leading them on, and that they will quake. And yes, it does take a while for them to take the land, but indeed they do. And when they trust in God, they do conquer these people. These people we're told, we're told will, uh, will, will fear them and dread will fall on them because of the power of God's arm. It's because we have a mighty God who goes before them. And so there's a promise for the near future for Israel, but then there's also a promise for the distant future. Um, did you spot in verse 13 that in his strength he's going to guide them to his holy dwelling? Uh, Did you spot in in verse 17 that they're going to be planted on the mountain of your inheritance, the place the Lord made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, uh, Lord, that your hands have established? The the holy dwelling of God we can see in, in the tabernacle coming up, which turns into a temple under Solomon. But both temple and tabernacle point towards uh, God's dwelling in heaven. The the mountain that we see in verse 17 speaks back into the Garden of Eden when God dwelt with his people, but then also speaks forward to Mount Zion, uh, to Jerusalem. And that, yes, again, speaks further forward 
to the new Jerusalem where God will dwell with his people in a new earth, renewed earth, with new heavens. It speaks to the fact that in Egypt, these people were slaves, which meant that they couldn't have the rest and the peace that God created for them. They were just worked 24-7. And God brings them out of this, literally, this hell on earth into a place of rest with them, where even their food is provided and their water is provided in manna and in quail, water from the rock as well. And, uh, and on, on the Sabbath, they're able to be there in rest, in worship with their God, a people who are devoted to them. And that, yet again, speaks forward to what they will see in the future. The greatest parallel that we see uh, with this song and any other passage in the Bible, in fact, is from Revelation 15, where we heard some of what's going to happen in the future, where there's the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. And the song is, Great and marvellous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, kings, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So there will be a time in the future, into eternity, and that's the eternity of the, the Lord who reigns forever and ever in verse 18, when all nations who have bowed the knee to God, will worship him. People from every nation, every time, who've trusted in a God who saves, who redeems, who delivers. And there's going to be the song of praise that goes up, the song of praise of the servant of God, Moses, and of the Lamb that will give God honour. And then we find in verse 20 to 21 uh, that um, Miriam is singing out. And do you notice what she's singing? Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted, both horse and rider, so driver. He is hurled into the sea, which again is verse 1 just repeated. So as Moses has finished singing the song, Miriam strikes up and starts it all over again from the beginning. And it's this idea that this is a song that's just to be repeated over and over again in perpetuity. Never stop teaching the next generation what the Lord has done in the past. Never stop praising God for his mighty acts. Not the vagueness and generalities, but what he has actually done for us. And their hearts, therefore, just bubble over with this praise. Don't you want your heart to do that? Now, mouths speak the overflowing of our hearts, as we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, and, and that can be in sin, but it can also be in praise. And where our hearts are stirred by the Lord for what he has done, it naturally comes out in praise. Let's be a people who are praying for our hearts, that they'd be overflowing with the good works that God has done, both in the past and in the recent past for us. Let's be that kind of people. So where does this leave us? Well, it leaves us in a place of, of thinking, 
salvation as we know it so often in our uh, Western democratic mindset seems to be an individualistic thing, doesn't it? But this salvation that we see in this passage is very much a corporate salvation. It's the people of God together who get saved. And as I said, this is a passage um, that, that, that's, that's so much on the minds uh, of these people of God as they understand our, our God who saves. And so therefore, I think there's a corrective in this that we need to be un- able to understand ourselves who work out our salvation in fear and trembling, yes, uh, and we will be judged individually, yes, but our salvation, uh, our encouragement of each other as we work out our salvation is absolutely vital. We are to be a people who are continually encouraging each other as we move forward in Christ, admonishing each other if necessary, um, pointing each other to what God has done and will do, um, but we're in it together. And Jesus says exactly this uh, in John 3.16 when he says, he doesn't say God loved you so much that he gave his one and only son that those would believe in him. He says God loves the world so much. Salvation is on offer for all who believe. It's something uh, that's corporate in nature. And that's why church is, is so important. It's a coming together uh, as we work out that salvation. And I think we saw a lot of this. Mary Lois was talking about the house party uh, earlier, and I absolutely loved the house party. Um, church is when two or three are gathered in Christ's name. You've got church with two or three. And as church grows to be more than two or three, you need a sort of organizational structure to help people meet together in this larger group. And that's why services are formed. There's this structure that goes on to help us in our meeting as two or three. But the structure, the organization, isn't church. The two or three, the more than two or three, are the church. The body of Christ is the church, not the structure. And like as a, a hermit crab needs to change its shell as it grows through life, so the body of Christ needs a structure that changes and molds to it to serve it. So it isn't serving the structure, but the structure around it, the organization around it, is serving it. And I think what we saw on the house party last weekend was the hermit crab out of its shell, the body of Christ out of the structure of Sunday services, just being a body and interacting with with each other. It's just such a great reminder to us of what we are as the church. We are, we are the people um, of God. Um, yeah, so corporate salvation, absolutely vital. And then for us, therefore, as a body of Christ, how does this encourage us in the journey that we're walking? The people of Israel, we're on a journey, and so we are too. We're in a phase of interregnum. But during this interregnum, let's carry on praising God for the past thanking him for what he did. History is his story. Let's thank God for what he's done in the past at St. Michael's. Let's know that he's got a purpose for our present, which continues as we understand him to be a saving, redeeming God. And that message is a message that's for the hope of the world, so that all would praise him from every nation. And let's continue into the future, uh, 
uh, with hope in us as the people of Israel had looked back to this point of the Exodus and the future, forward to the future of what God was going to do in uh, the coming of his Messiah. Let's be looking back to the cross, back to Exodus, which prefigured it, and forward to what God is going to do in the new creation, which is going to be a marvelous and exciting time when everything is renewed and life is as it should be in our rest with God as we are recreated into the people he made us to be in his image. So let's pray.